Our reading for today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 12. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, We've worked our way through this series, and uh, I simply wanted to take a few minutes to just step back and say, what are we doing as a church? Because one of the keys to this is not um, where are we going, though let's talk about that for just a minute, but it's also why are we going there? And the where are we going that we've talked about, um, our dream, our big dream as a church is to add on to this facility so that we can provide space for uh, kids, that we can provide space for ministries um, beyond what we're doing right now, that we can provide space for community events, that we can um, be able to do all those things as a church, uh, but also uh, so that more and more people can hear this good news of Jesus that has touched you and that's touched me. And so um, that's our dream going forward. Uh, We've said a couple of phases. One, uh, that beginning phase is is, uh, shredding a mortgage in public, which is really maybe the best thing you get to do in your life when you get to get rid of that mortgage. You can burn them, but it's really complicated to burn something in the middle of the church. And so shredders are really great tools for these things. And so that's step, that's step one. And then also working on um, some sound issues to be able to help those uh, who have difficulty hearing in this space, um, as well as uh, work on some of the spaces that we have here. Um, and, and we're really excited and looking forward to that. And then beyond that, to begin to look at what does it look like to break ground? And um, we'll see where we get financially, uh, but we believe that God is going to bless us with what he's called us to do in this season. And so we're really thankful for so many of you uh, who are investing, uh, uh, really sacrificing to be able to make this ministry and what we do as a church possible. And thank you for that and for your prayers and for your time and for your energy in being able to bless that. Um, We're really, this is just the beginning of this all-in season for us. But the other piece of this that comes along is the why piece of it. Phil, would you go to that next slide? I'm going to be a little bumpy because I don't have my notes, and I don't know why that is. Um, but sometimes I want to put quotes up there that, that make us go, uh, and this is one of them. Um, there is this quote that I read this week, and here's what it said. There are three conversions a per- person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. Now, if you grew up in a Lutheran church, this quote makes you nervous because this is those preachers that just talk about, like, if you're blessed and all these things, and it's, it's a mess. And so you think, who wrote this? Was it Joel Osteen, or was it Creflo Dollar, or who was it? But if you'll put up the name for us really quick, that's actually a Martin Luther quote. And so it's hard to be real nervous about a quote when it's written by the guy for whom the church is named. And so we're like, okay, what does this mean? 
And what this means is often this. Um, God has a tendency to get a hold of our head. Um, as, as, belie- as young believers, people who grew up in the church, he gets a hold of our brain and he says, yes, this is true. And we go, yes, this is true. And then suddenly our heart melts. If you've ever had one of those moments where your heart just turns toward God in an amazing way, sometimes um, I know in my experiences like that, I cry for what feels like no reason, and people stare at you and you go, what is happening? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just tears. And they're like, are you sad? And I'm like, no, I'm not sad at all. I had one of those experiences. We went to the Concordia Christmas concert last night. And we sang um, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. And the voices uh, moving back and forth in that room and disappearing all together. I was like, this is heaven. This is amazing. And this is exactly the picture that I, I see when I read about heaven in Revelation. These, this, all these hearts turn toward God and I'm just moved to tears. And it's not a brain thing, it's a heart thing. But there is this reality that God gives us things to manage. And when Luther says pocketbook, he's not just talking about cash. We have this life that we're given that God gives us to manage and to work out and to figure out how are we going to use this in order to honor God? Because when we honor God with our head and our thoughts are going that way and the way we speak is going that way, that's a blessing. And when we honor God with our hearts and we're, we're melted and moved to bless other people, that's a blessing. But when we begin to honor God with our, what we've been given, we begin to see something different show up. And so Luther wanted to stop us and say, well, what does that mean? And that's what we're going to talk about over the next little bit. Oh, would you put up the next slide for me? Um, uh, Greg Laurie uh, talked about this because I always get asked, well, can't the church just be quiet about money? But Greg Laurie, who's an evangelist, uh, did a little research project and helped us out and said, well, why do we talk about some of these things? Here's what he says. It's worth noting that money is such an important topic in the Bible that is the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus told. In addition, one in every seven verses in the New Testament deals with this topic. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money. That's not a small stat. You're like, this comes up a lot. And why is that true? Why on earth does this show up so often in Scripture? And I think it's this, because our finances have, abil- have the ability to get our teeth in us in the way that few other things can. We advance that slide one more time for me so I can make sure I'm on the right spot. Um, And so when the Bible begins to talk about this, there are some things that are talked about. Um, The question that often comes up is this. This is the unspoken question. How much? Nobody will actually say that question out loud because— but but we're all like, but can you just tell me, you know, it's, it's— You know, you don't want to ask who somebody voted for, and you don't want to ask how much to give. These are just questions that we don't want to say out loud because we're afraid that these things will get really complicated. And you—I want you to hear this from me. We just read some scripture that names it, and it says it's not how much. In fact, in the Bible, it never is how much. Uh, When Jesus tells the story, he tells the story about a woman who gives a, a couple of coins, which were a huge sacrifice to her. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, it needs to be. He says, it's the heart that's in it. And over the course of Scripture, we can pretty much narrow down this question of how do we give of ourselves, of our abilities, of our time, 
and of our finances to a really simple statement. The best summary of how the Bible talks about generosity is two words, and let's say them together. Cheerful sacrifice. Cheerful sacrifice are the ways that Scripture talks about money. It's the way that Scripture talks about our time. It's the way that Scripture talks about the way we bless other people. Over and over and over again, there is this balance. And amazingly enough, these two things have a tendency to live in opposition to each other. We say cheerful and sa- that sounds terrible. You know, we are, we are the country that's told that when we're in really desperate economic times, you should go to the mall because that will solve everything. Cheerful sacrifice is not a part of our understanding or our MO. But when God talks about the way we manage finances, he, it, it seems like the scriptures and the scripture writers stop us and they say, what would it look like to offer a cheerful sacrifice. And this comes from a couple of different scriptures that show up in, um, in, in our readings. And one was the one we read, and the other we're going to get to in just a little bit. But the first one comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 7. This is one of those really famous ver- verses on stewardship that we hear about a lot. Here's what it says. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind. I want to stop there for just a minute. Give as you have made up your mind. This is where we say this. Giving is a covenant between you and God that calls for your time, that calls for your abilities, that calls for your finances, that calls for the way that you manage all that God has given you. But it does not say, here's the rule, here it is, here's how it goes, that's it. The Old Testament has a number of things, a number of of laws that actually often work well. Uh, They're called tithing laws. People brought the first 10% to the storehouse. Here's what I would say. This isn't a law because everybody's in a different situation. And so the rule of 10% can feel a little bit like a rule. But what I would always kind of say is— for a person, to be really honest, the, my experience is, is that generally uh, when you're stable, you have things figured out, you have things there, 10% also, amazingly enough, becomes a guideline that actually starts to work. Giving about that begins to work in these ways when we're starting to talk about some other things because you're like, oh, actually we can get there. We can figure out how this is going to work. And that doesn't happen ever. Giving in this way never happens overnight. Because if it happens overnight, it's going to cause some problems for what goes on here. Because it says this, you should give as you have made up your own mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Again, Paul says it again. This isn't a law or a rule, but instead, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, we all know people for whom cheer is a very difficult thing. This is me generally during the whole month of December. Cheer is something that disappears from my life. I look at trees and I stores and nobody likes Jesus anymore. You know, I, you know, and I get a little bit grumpy and my family tries to explain to me to stop and the church staff will actually put joyful reminders. Though one year somebody actually hung a Grinch on the door of my office to explain to me that that was me and it really needs to stop at this point in time. People who are not cheerful are not fun to be around. And I think there is this reality 
that God is saying this very important truth. Knowing Jesus should make you more fun to be around. Okay? Following Jesus should make you more fun to be around than not knowing or not following Jesus. This has had this tendency to not be true. Christians are grumpy. I have to follow these rules. You have to follow these rules too. Or we have the Lutheran version. I went to confirmation and it was terrible, so you should go to confirmation and it's going to be terrible. I don't really know what it is that we go through this and we deal with these things, but we kind of look at each other and we're like, ah, this is hard. But this is not what Paul calls us to. He says that God loves our cheer and our ability to give cheerfully. And so here's the question. What does it mean to give cheerfully? Or what I say that I give to others cheerfully? There's something that happens in our society in December. And all of a sudden, people who are really busy and have all of these things going on decide that in the midst of their busyness, they're going to give. And so they ring bells and they show up at food shelters, and they show up at homeless shelters, and they show up at churches, and they say, I want to pour out to other people, and I want to do these things for you. And some of us, some of you are doing that all year long, but it happens more during this season. And it's amazing, because what happens is, is that we suddenly realize that inside of us, giving brings us joy. Blessing other people brings us joy. And we're really thankful for the fact that we get to give to other people. Do you know why that is? Because you were hardwired to bless other people. You were created. The scriptures point to this all throughout scripture, that we are created for one another. And when we begin to give to other people with our energy, with our time, with our finances, with all of these things, when we begin to bless other people, we tap into something that God created in us that's amazing. And we're really thankful to be able to bless others in that incredible way. Giving cheerfully focuses us on seeing how God is blessing others around us. And when we begin to give, we begin to see this joy. And so my first question was the question that was up there just a moment ago. Would you consider yourself a cheerful giver? Would you consider yourself somebody who gives with joy? And if the answer is yes, bless you, but if you're going, you know, I wish that that was how I felt, I would encourage you to go back to the Bible or Google it if you're not even sure what to do. What does the Bible say about giving? And see some things that it talks about when you're talking about this. What does it mean to give cheerfully? Because God says that you were made for other people. And when we start to bless other people, we'll see the joy show up in our own lives. We'll see these things happen. Sometimes we simply need to ask, God, will you mess with my heart? Will you change it in some incredible ways to let me see the needs of others around us and let me see how I can be a part of what God is doing for other people around us. There's some other scripture that goes along with this too. Besides being a cheerful giver, there's this story that happens in Samuel because um, cheerful is not the only thing that goes on in the Bible. There's some other kinds of giving that show up as well. And at the end of 2 Samuel, there's this story where David has been in the midst of a military battle. King David, if you know King David, um, he's been 
he's been around for a while. Um, at the end of Second Samuel, he's, he's part, most of the way into his battles and his strength and his power. And as he's been going through this, um, he's been having some victories. And as the military victories uh, begin to pile up, he says, I need to turn to God and I need to give thanks for God. And so I'm going to offer worship. And I'm going I'm to go to God and I'm going to offer a sacrifice directly to God to say thank you. Um, if you don't know about this, they would take these sacrifices and they would give them, um, they would give them to two groups of people. One is the priests and the other is the poor because these two groups of people um, were in, in deep need because the priests tend not to eat without the church and the poor um, tended to need people to, to be given to. And so they would take this sacrifice. And so David's going to gather this together. And he's going to say thank you to God for what's going on. And as he begins to do this, there is this person in his life who's excited for all that David has done. His name is Aruna. Aruna the Jebusite. And so Aruna, he goes to Aruna and he says, I need a sacrifice ready, and so I need some animals, and I need a place to be able to do this sacrifice. And Aruna goes back to him, and he says, I will give you all this stuff for free. Now for you and I, that sounds great, right? I want to make this big sacrifice to God, and it's going to be really expensive. And, and, and Aruna comes back, and he goes, we're so thankful for your military victory. We want to give it to you so that you can worship. And you, it doesn't have to cost you anything. And David thinks about it for a minute. And he says, what do I do with this promise? So here's what he says. It says, David said to Aruna, no, but I will buy them from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. It's not just joy, but there's also a sacrifice involved in what David is doing. He's not just saying, I want to be full of joy, but he also says, I want to make a sacrifice. I won't do something that doesn't cost me. And the thing about it is, is that all of the stories that I hear from people who talk about how giving has made a difference in their life, and these happen a lot, people will tell you, that being able to give to others has changed who I am, they'll say this. Over and over again, the theme of these stories sounds like this. You know, I could have done this, this, and this. I could have had this, this, and this. But I made a decision to give until it caused me to sacrifice something. This is what David is doing. He's saying, I want to give in a way that, that, that causes me to sacrifice, because when I start to think about that sacrifice that I made, I'm going to start to think about the God who loves me and blesses me and cared for me. It changes his heart, saying, I decided not to do something for me so that I could do something for someone else. This is the story of giving. It's a story of giving cheerfully, of rejoicing that God has blessed us so richly that we can bless other people. But it's also a story of sacrificing for others. And it brings up this question. Would I say that I give to others sacrificially? And that's where I'm always talking about this balance. There's a balance here. We want to give not so much that we give begrudgingly. We say, we can't do this and I can't pay my mortgage. But we also want to give in a way that makes us make decisions to say, I can do this, but I can't do that. I want to do this, but I want to see that what I'm working toward is beyond just, okay, I got this now, 
and it says, I'm going to bless others with it. I'm going to care for others beyond this place. That's what it means to be all in with God and to sacrifice with God. And the reason we give sacrificially is uh, what's printed on the next slide, Phil, if you'll put that up. Giving sacrificially helps us see that we are part of a much bigger story. It gives us a reminder that I'm not just here for me and you're not just here for you, but we do things together. We stand shoulder to shoulder as the people of God saying, God has cared for us and we want to bless those around us. We want to care for those around us. We're really thankful in the ways that God has blessed this community and has changed us in incredible ways. Are there any more slides, Phil? Is there one more on there? That's what this means. Being all in for God means cheerfully sacrificing ourselves for God's kingdom. Giving a cheerful sacrifice, rejoicing in the fact that we can give and realizing that we can give until it makes us make a decision. Until it makes us turn one way or the other to slow down a little bit and say, you know, that would have been possible. But this is different. This is doing something as Jesus says, not in purses that will, that will gain holes, but investing in the kingdom and investing in what God's doing for us and for the future and for those who will come after us and for those who are not here yet because the church exists for people who aren't here yet. The church exists for people who haven't been born yet. And when we pour ourselves out, we pour ourselves out for them for a generation and two and three to come who will teach to cheerfully sacrifice for the God that loves them and has blessed them richly. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we pray that you will continue to move and melt our hearts, that you will remind us of the ways that you have given to us and that you'll cause us to turn and bless others. We pray that you'll surround this community now, that you'll always make us all wide stewards of what you've given us, and that you'll remind us to turn our eyes toward those around us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and together God's people said, Amen.